Thank you, Anna. In the Peoria Journal Star yesterday, there was an article about planting fall vegetables. Uh, a lot of fall vegetables uh, do well, like spinach and lettuce, and green beans, Brussels sprouts, uh, uh, spinach, uh, beets, and carrots. They do well with the late July or August planting, so the urge is there to get out and plant some more. But if one plants these vegetables, then what happens? What needs to be done? Watering and uh, yeah, cultivating and then what canning, right? You have to do something with the produce. So this is exciting. And my first urge was to, yeah, when I need to do this. Today we're blessed with texts from books of the law. And we approach this with a lot of humility uh, because these texts are not really preaching texts. They're texts meant to, um, they're for discussion. They're for chewing and meditating and arguing. And uh, this is an ancient discussion that we're entering today that's been going on uh, for centuries. So, um, if you have a thought, please contribute in the sharing time when the children come back. Contribute to the discussion. Let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, only by your presence can we catch the spirit of the law and live into it. Thank you for this text, which is holy, just, and good. Amen. I'm going to ask you, I'm asking you today to imagine. Just imagine. A lot of imagining. Imagine a sabbatical year with remission of debts and rest for land and rest for workers. Imagine the ongoing possibility for families to redeem land lost, and if that is not possible, families returning to their land in the 50th or Jubilee year. Just imagine helping family without interest, providing a place to live. Imagine living as if I am the Lord your God is real instead of worshiping idols. The Homestead Act was passed by Congress in May of 1862. Any person over 21 could obtain title to 160 acres of, quote, public land if he or she lived on the land for five years and improved it. From 1862 until 1900, farms were provided for between 400,000 and 600,000 families. The opportunities offered by the act were widely advertised in America and Europe. This act intersects with the indigenous history of about every community. Very consistently, Amish and Mennonite settlements throughout the Midwest began about 10 years after the dispossession of the native peoples. The Homestead Act was the final blow for many Native American tribes that were forced off their ancestral land. Dispossession of land also has been a reality for African American farmers. In early 1965, Union General William T. Sherman's Special Field Order Number 15, agreed to by President Lincoln, agreed to by President Lincoln, granted 40 acres to freed slaves. A Southern Homestead Act occurred in 1866 
After Lincoln's assassination, Andrew Johnson overturned Sherman's order. Promises of land to freed slaves were largely not realized. Many became sharecroppers and tenant farmers. In the following years, land was taken from black farmers, first by physical violence and then by legal maneuvering. For instance, when a clear title was lacking in land passed by so-called heirs' property deeds. By inflated taxes and tax sales and partition sales. They were denied loans, helpful information, and membership in cooperatives, and were treated rudely and not called when they waited at county offices and burdened by complex paperwork. If you've never been sure or wondered what structural or systemic racism is, I would, or institutional racism, I would recommend reading a beautiful book, uh, Natalie Basile, We Are Each Other's Harvest celebrating African-American farmers' land and legacy. If you want to read about structural institutional racism on the part of the United States Department of Agriculture and largely white county committees. Brazil's, Brazil's book also describes vibrant African-American farmers and their farm operations, often growing food. Between 1910 and 1997, African-American farmers lost around 90% of their land farmland. Many white farmers also lost land. Our family's an example because of a bad business deal. Uh, our family lost land. The law is a gift to us, an instrument of salvation or shalom, God's wishes for how society should function, how communities should provide for the less fortunate who have fallen on hard times. Israel has been freed from oppression, and this freedom is to be passed on equitable access to and distribution of land and money, how we should seek justice together and set things right. Jesus' ministry was based on these texts on the Bible, the Old Testament, these and similar texts. The gleaning laws in Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 are the basis of our Colombian coin collection. Now, these gleaning laws say when you turn your combine around or when you your grapes or whatever, you're not supposed to get every little bit. You're supposed to leave some for the poor. And uh, we're not following the letter of this, but we follow the spirit by our spare change bringing our coin. So that's our biblical basis for that. And they, we collect these for food and Christmas gifts for the children in our partner churches in Columbia. Leviticus 17, 1 to 2646 is titled The Holiness Code. This is important. Holiness is an ideal for the whole community, not just the sanctuary and priest, and is related to human behavior in multiple social contexts. How we are set apart for God's uses, God's purposes. And again, I said we are enjoying a centuries-old centuries discussion here. The law is for pondering and discussing, meditating and debating. That's, uh, some of, this is printed, I believe, in your bulletin, um, Luke, or Leviticus 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, and we've heard this in our reader's theater, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land that I'm giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield, but in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field, or prune your vineyard. 
You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. <clears throat> you may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath. You, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you, for your livestock also and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. What would it be like if the land were given a rest every seven years? as a living entity needing rest along with people. The Jewish New Year, or Rosh Hashanah, begins this year, September 6th to 8th. This coincides with our fiscal year. Now in the past, questions arose as to how long one could till, or how long one could spread manure, this is part of the discussion, or the difference between crops that could and could not keep if left in the ground. Now the Mishnah, we have the law, and then we have a, a Mishnah, which is a kernel of commentary. This came from the first and second century of the Christian era. And then added to this commentary were, is a discu were discussions by rabbis. And when you put all three of those together, uh, this is called the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-B. And I like to read... Uh, just a bit from, uh, this is the Mishnah part of it. How long you continue to plow a field of grain in the year preceding the seventh year for as long as the soil remains moist enough from the winter rains for people to plow for planting cucumbers and gourds. Rabbi Simeon says, in that case, it would be up to each individual to decide the law. Rather, you may plow a field of trees until Pentecost and a white field until Passover. You may not plant, graft, or layer within 30 days of the New Year festival of the seventh year. If anyone did plant, graft, or layer in that period, he must uproot it. The commentary, the person who translated this and edited it, Norman Solomon, says several jobs a person might legitim legitimately do in his field in the sabbatical year could appear to the onlooker as agricultural work. To be careful, he might, for instance, want to clear parts of the field to pin his sheep or to gather sticks for fuel or to quarry stones for building. All of these incidentally improve the field, though that is not his primary intention. Mishnah draws a fine line between what would and would not mislead others or what could be used as cover for forbidden activities. So this is really an uh, interesting uh, ongoing uh, discussion. The point is that they're taking this text seriously. They're not writing it off. The crops were figs and grapes and grains and root crops, not corn and soybeans. There would be some produce in the sabbatical year. Wheat and barley harvesting probably left grain in the fields like our combines do. Apples, pears, peaches, grapes, rhubarb, volunteer tomatoes, asparagus, dandelions, wheat are crops that would come up without tilling. The Jewish historian Josephus claims that Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar exempted Jews from taxes in the sabbatical year. So I think God is concerned, I would say, about sustainability. We can't even scratch the surface of that today. Imagine farmers and gardeners having a sabbatical year, year, you and your land. Year of Jubilee. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years, 
And ye shall have the trumpet sounded loud. You've heard this. On the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, ye shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year, and ye shall proclaim liberty through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one to you, of you to your, to your property and every one of you to your family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vine. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field produces. You shall observe my statues and faithfully keep my ordinances that you may live on the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live on it securely. Should you ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, I will order my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will, it will yield a crop for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating from the old crop until the ninth year. When its produce comes in, you shall eat the old. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. With me, you are but aliens and tenants. Throughout the land that you hold, you shall provide for the redemption of the land. The Jubilee year was at the end of seven sabbatical cycles. Much of chapter 25 has to do with just and equitable land distribution, land entitlement. Land is to stay in families so that a few families don't end up with all the land. Land that has to be sold can be redeemed by a relative, or if, it will not, or if not, will be returned in the Jubilee year. Verse 24 is central. Land belongs to God. The idolatry of adding field to field and house to house. This is the alternative to this idolatry. The Lord is God. Land must be sold with the right of redemption. Unjust land distribution is the, at the heart of much injustice and strife in our world. We know about Colombia. Uh, millions have been displaced from their farms, and we see poor people live along the roads in the first eighth of a mile, and then there's a fence, and beyond that, endless beautiful haciendas, as far as you can see. People end up in cities like Cincelejo for more than one generation. Colombia is working on land restitution for displaced communities. In El Salvador, seven families at one time owned all the land, probably still do. Displacement and violence lead to refugees and immigration. So there's not evidence that the Jubilee year was ever observed. The text appeals to no judicial sanctions to be imposed if it were not observed. The discussion appeals merely to people's ethical and theological sensibilities. But just imagine, just imagine if in the royal reign of God, the Jubilee year was observed. And Jesus may have been hinting at that in his message in Capernaum in Luke 4. In the Talmud, I read from this a selection the Jubilee year was not included in the Mishnah Norman Solomon used. Let's get back to the sabbatical or seventh year. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it 
you must remit your claim on whatever any member of your community owes you. There will, however, be no one in need among you because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a possession to occupy. If, you only, if only you will obey the Lord your God by diligently observing this entire commandment that I command you today, and the Lord your God has blessed you as he promised you, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand willingly, lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and, in, and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. During the seventh year, agricultural work is suspended and debts are remitted. The first sabbatical year of the current millennium was 2000, 2001. So 2021, 2022, beginning this September, is a sabbatical year. Now for this, we need help from a rabbi I called one of the rabbis locally. Unfortunately, I waited till Thursday. Well, Friday is Shabbat, and uh, so I hope that this person does get back to me. Um, my question was, how does your community observe this? Does your congregation? Does anyone owe you money, and it's more, been more than seven years? Imagine what it would be like to remit that debt for you and the person owing you. So understandably, it was difficult to get a loan as the seventh year approached. You couldn't get a loan if someone thought that this would be remitted in the seventh year, so they devised a system called prosobol, prosbol, rather, P-R-S-B-U-L, where this debt could be transferred to a third party, to a judge, for instance. This is written in the contract, so it wouldn't be remitted. So there was a way of getting around this. Um, uh, this was signed by the parties, so the loan did not revert to a gift. This reminds me of the Corban that Jesus talks about when honor your father and your mother. They had a way of saying, well, if this money is dedicated to the church, then I won't have to give it to my parents. And Jesus was really pushing back on that, and I imagine he would, did or would push back on this. God's economy is not like ours. Finally, if any of your kin fall into difficulty and become dependent on you, you shall support them. They shall live with you as though resident aliens. Do not take interest in advance or otherwise make a profit from them, but fear your God. Let them live with you. You shall not lend them your money and interest taken in advance or provide them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. So I am the Lord your God. This is what is central. This is straightforward here in mercy and justice. Finally, what are our transformational goals or applications here? The good news is that God brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, and the Lord is our God. This is the bottom line here. The Lord owns the earth, and we also are God's possessions. 
God desires justice and flourishing in community. This text is about, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me, no idol. Worship of land, ownership, and wealth. Idolatry leads to injustice for the poor and needy. Firstly, if we take these texts seriously as God's intentions for God's world, God loves, we may lament and confess. I'll say just a few words about the law. This is based a lot on what Paul says. Um, the law is holy and just and good. It should be an advantage. It's a gift to us. But once we have the law, some things happen. What happened? What happened? Well, sin appears. Now we have sin. Apart from the law, we don't have sin. And then what does sin do? Uh, sin entices us to cross boundaries. And then when we do, sin tries to make us feel guilty. And then worse of all, tries to get us to believe that we're separated from God when we sin. I used to believe that. It took me years to get over that. You know, sin is a detour. It's a dead end. And we try to get back on the road. God is closer than ever. If we try, Paul says, you know, if we try to do this by ourselves, keep the law, you know, we, we end up doing exactly what we don't want to do, and it's a wretched state. So what is the solution? The solution is the Holy Spirit, life and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can, is powerful enough to interpret the law and to uh, uh, undermine sin. Um, the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is powerful enough. So, God does not want us to feel ashamed or guilty, but through the Holy Spirit, what directions can we consider? Just some humble suggestions here. I don't have the answers. Um, uh, setting things right, we can imagine regarding land redemption and distribution. Rich Meyer speaking about how Potawatomi village was devastated by settler expansion near Goshen, Indiana says, there are losses you can't change, but there are relationships you can build and see where they go. But today in the Peoria Journal Star, uh, a Nez Pierce tribe was able to purchase 150 acres of land near Joseph, Oregon. This is their homeland. After an 1855 treaty of Walla Walla was violated and they were moved to a reservation in Idaho. This is a jubilee story. If you have a chance, read that. It's in the Journal Star today. It's a moving story. Their ancestors are buried here and they're able to come back home. Would it be possible to develop relationships, as Rich Meyer says, with people whose families have lost land in the past or present. The Homestead National Historical Park Heritage Center near Beatrice, Nebraska is located at the site of the first land claim under the Homestead Act. The stories of pioneering immigrants and Native American tribes are told there. So we could visit that. That would be a good place. Are there any Native American, African American, or Hispanic American farmers in Woodford or Tazewell County? What do you think? But if so, if there were, imagine if they could be represented on county FSA and soil and water conservation committees and grain cooperatives. I have a card here asking for FSA county committee elections for 2021 for nominations. 
we could support measures of reparative justice. We could read Mennonite Creation Care Network's Peace in the Weekly, Call for Peace and Justice in Meta, Columbia, and Michelle made some additional copies. If you are involved in a property line dispute, perhaps you can hold that loosely. Some of our partner churches, Saogun and Barranquilla in Columbia, have lost their meeting places. Can we imagine helping with rent so they have a room where they could meet? Regarding the seventh year, imagine the seventh year at Metamore Mennonite Church, sabbatical year, a year of our being set aside to reflect God's holiness and holiness and purpose, not focused on production, but being. As Eric has told us in the past, we are enough, we've done enough sometimes. What would that look like? So consider, can consider canceling debts in your family that are over seven years old. Support community uh, agricultural projects, inner city gardens. These are the signs of the kingdom, signs of hope. Imagine what sustainable agriculture would be like. Focus on relationships, local and global. Get help from uh, local uh, rabbis, I've asked, and hopefully I will get a response. Help your family members generously. Meditate on the Torah and prophets and the writings. God owns, we use. We are tenants. Finally, teach these precepts to our children. We have vacation Bible school this week. God's big, beautiful world. Living knowing that God exists and that we are set aside for God's uses. Imagining the world God intends. The biblical base for this Leviticus is the Exodus, but I think it's also related to creation. It has to be somehow. So I don't have the answers. We are invited to enter a long-standing conversation, but please don't write these texts off. Jesus didn't. They are a gift for peace and justice. Just imagine. I don't think I'm going to plant any fall vegetables. I think I'm going to rest and let my raised beds rest. Maybe I'll have more time to think about these texts. Let's pray. Lord, you desire mercy, not sacrifice. Holy Spirit, help us catch the spirit of these texts. Help us to be merciful and generous. Help us imagine just allocation of resources in your world as you wish. Only by your presence can we escape idolatry. Jesus, thank you for taking the law seriously. Thank you for persons who have persevered in context of unjust land situations. Thank you for efforts by our elected leaders to redress wrongs of the past. Help us not to be discouraged. Thank you for all the signs of your kingdom growing. And thank you for our children and youth and for our time of sharing to follow. Amen.